who we are in Christ. Uh, we've looked at uh, the reality that we are chosen. God has chosen us. That we are justified through God's grace and His mercy. And last, uh, well, two weeks ago, actually, we, uh, Brad preached on the picture of, of how we are saints. And, and, and I really appreciated the way he put it. It's kind of hard to think of ourselves because of the way our culture thinks of the word saint. And that's you know, a general way that it approaches that we don't think of ourselves as you know, St. Bob. You know, uh, I guess maybe St. Since my middle name is James, St. James. I've heard that one. Uh, but uh, we don't think of ourselves. We might turn around and say, you know, in some churches... Uh, they, they say brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and, and this type of thing to identify the fact that we're part of the family of God. But we are saints, and it's an interesting way of looking at it because you, we know who we are. We know the negative things that we think and do and, and, and realize that John is correct when he says if you think you don't have sin, you're fooling yourself. Uh, that we are all sinners, that we, we need the grace of God. And if we're faithful and confessing our sins, Christ will be faithful in forgiving our sins and restoring us. But the reality is, is we struggle with this. So we think of ourselves as saints, and, and, and God looks at it as a completed work. He sees the end before it's there. Of course, He's the one that made the plan before the beginning, sees the, the end from the beginning, so that shouldn't surprise us. So He looks at us as a finished work. But yet, interesting how the Bible directs us, you are saints. You are becoming saintly. <laughs> you will become sanctified or saints. You know, this idea of being set apart. You have been set apart. You are being set apart. And you will be fully set apart. It's, it's, so we're kind of in a picture that's uh, frequently used today of a phrase, already and not yet. We're already saints, but we're becoming what God has, has, has sees us as. And so that's the process that we're going through. And so how do we respond to this? And today's subject is that we are, are identified in our walk as, as those who are in Christ. We are in Christ. We are chosen, justified, saints. We are in Christ. Uh, and there is, this is a, a far broader topic is in one sense than you, because it encompasses probably all the things that we're going to be talking about in reference to the future messages that are coming out of this series about being adopted and, and uh, redeemed and, and the body of Christ, the, 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 the bride of Christ, the temple of God, the different things that we're going to be talking about. And so I want to be cautious that I don't do too much overlapping here. And it, it hit me that this is July 4th weekend, and we're really... Focused, uh, I, 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 we see it on the television, we see it uh, in the news and, and different situations, uh, to- focused uh, on, on re- being reminded of the awesome thing it is that we are Americans born in the United States and the freedoms that we have. I want to be sure that you understand as I, as I go through the message today how blessed I know I am to be born in the United States with the freedoms that I have. But I also want to focus and really draw your attention today to the reality that we are also called free in Christ and what it means to be free in Christ. And it's, it's actually a greater thing than the freedom that we have of, in the United States. It's the greatest freedom of all. And the interesting thing is, is that 
people in some of the most oppressed countries in the world are still free in Christ. This freedom extends. It has no borders. It has no boundaries. It has no ethnicity to it. It's, it's a freedom that is, you know, where Jesus says there's, there's neither slave nor, nor free man. There's, there's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no male. There's no female. He, he says it's, it's a broad picture of who the family of God is, who the body of Christ is, uh, who the bride of Christ is, who the church is. And as a result, we are free in Christ. And I want to focus on that today. But I don't want to take away from the reality that we should thank God every single day for the freedoms that we have in the United States. I think that uh, we, we use the term rights, uh, the Bill of Rights, uh, the, the, the freedoms that, that come as a result of that, that are guaranteed in our Constitution as a result of that. Um, Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom you know, of press, the various things that go on with that. And as you realize and you look at it in the, America, in the United States and we see all these freedoms, you can't help but take a step backwards and say the interpretation of how these freedoms are to be responded to today, did the forefathers have those things in mind when they wrote this, that it would be uh, as, I, I want to be cautious, reinterpreted, possibly even use the term misinterpreted uh, into the freedoms the, today that are being granted that had nothing to do with the initial context of what, how the, the Constitution was written. Uh, and so we look at that and we say uh, it's, it's obviously something that's, that's much debated today. It, it, it's, we've got division all over the place as far as how people view the approach to this goes. And, and, and people say, yeah, there's Republican and Democrat. Well, there's also libertarian and constitutionalist and a number of other groups, too, uh, that, that look at this and are saying, how do we, how do we get back to our basics? And, and uh, the reality is, is that most world orders can't get there. And the reason is, is because they don't start where freedom in Christ is. We ourselves could not comprehend the freedom of Christ before Christ saved us, before the, 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 the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to his word and beginning to grasp it and to understand it. And I have to tell you, I still am gleaning new understanding of what it is to be free in Christ. But I also know that in the church, this idea of free in Christ is debated heavenly. Hell, Heavenly, heavily, and uh, and and I want to to look. You know, is that we need to understand what this freedom is and what it's for. Uh, what the Bible says about it, and for for me, I, I I always say, well, did you know, did Jesus at any point address this and say anything about it? And the answer is yes, he did. Uh, in John chapter eight. Uh, Jesus talks about our, our uh, being free in Christ or free in Him. Uh, in chapter 8, verse 31, as Jesus is, is talking, He, he, he says that uh, uh, he says, Jesus said to the Jews, He was talking to the Jews, who in this case are the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the priests, uh, who had believed in Him, if you abide in My Word, 
you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So being free in Christ has something to do with uh, truth. And the truth that we're speaking of is identified by Jesus even further uh, in, in the fact that John, uh, in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, where Jesus will tell you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate, without uh, uh, any kind of Christian way to, to look at things, he, you know, when Jesus said he, he represents the truth, that he is the truth, Pilate turned around and said uh, uh, during the trials of Jesus, he said, what is truth? There's this truth, that truth, that truth, that truth, that truth. What's truth? And Jesus says, actually, there is only one truth that matters. And it comes back to John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's it. Our freedom is based in that truth. That Jesus Christ is the, 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 the God who came in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and was God. And then it says that He became flesh and dwelt among us with the purpose of revealing the, the, the God and bringing light into the world. In, eight, in verse 8, verse 36, it says, the, the sun sets you, Those who are set free by the Son are set free indeed. Uh, in other words, the, if you want to know where true freedom comes, it has nothing to do with masters and slaves. It has nothing to do with what country you're in. It has to do with your relationship with the truth, Jesus Christ, and who He is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, starting with you know where we are with with, with Jesus's words, uh, I, I end up going to to Paul, and uh, in the in the epistles, and realize that, that that Paul has quite a lot to say about this. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it narrow. There's a lot of verses that deal with this phrase of being free in Christ, but I want to focus on just a couple of things that that Paul put together for us. First, he says in uh, uh, let's see where did I verse four of chapter two. He says, "Because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery." He's saying we have a freedom in Christ Jesus, and there's some people sneaking into the church that are trying to rob you of this. The way they were trying to rob him, by the way, was through legalism. Uh, if you do this, 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 and this, and it was going back to all the old Judaic ways uh, of, of everything from male circumcision to, to other aspects of keeping feasts and, 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 and different things, you have to do all of these things in order to be saved. And Jesus said, no. Paul says, no. That's not how you get saved. It's something that happens. In fact, Paul uses the, the very graphic picture of circumcision. And at this time, he says, of the heart, the flesh is cut away. So Jesus, he says that we, this freedom that we have in Christ, there are people who are going to try to, who can't see it. They come in and think, 
they just they can't grab a hold of it because they're not looking. And, and Paul spends through Galatians chapter three and four explaining things about the law and coming to the final conclusion, if you will, that the law was there for a purpose. The legalists say if you don't keep the law, you can't be saved. There's a truth buried in that. We'll get to that in a second. But what, Jesus, what, what Paul points out is, is that the reality of the law was is that it was there to tutor us, to teach us. To teach us what? What the holiness of God is. Why is that so important? Because, well, you can go to Leviticus and find uh, in chapter 11 that it says that, that you must be holy as I am holy to, to come into my presence, to be a part of who I am. And so we look at the law and we realize... Well, I, you know, we can take two approaches, and this is what the legalists would say, is I've been pretty good at it, you know, so I must be okay with God. The next question is, but have you failed to keep the law? I had a, an, a person who took even a, an interesting approach to this. His wife had become a Christian, and he was very frustrated because he started seeing some changes in her that he wasn't sure how to deal with. And uh, one of them was that, that she, she started reading the Bible and, and uh, spending a little bit of time with that. And she wasn't ignoring him as much as that she had a new focus in, in her life, which was he didn't like sharing her with Jesus, was what it boiled down to. And uh, he knew that I was a Christian, and he'd come to work and he would talk to me. And, and, I, and he'd say, you have to keep all these rules. I said, yeah, the rules are there for a purpose to show us what the holiness of God is. And the desire of our heart should be to serve God by keeping those rules the best we can. But, but we fail. We fall short. And he says, well, I've got my list of rules. And he went through a list of rules which had to do with integrity. You shouldn't lie, shouldn't cheat, you know, all these different things. And I said, Steve, have you ever broken those rules? He said, well, yeah, everybody does. I said, point made. Even when you come up with your own set of rules, you realize that you can't even keep those perfectly. What the, the law is, something that has to be kept perfectly in order to do the job of making you holy. Who has done that? No one. Except Jesus Christ, Son of God. God in the flesh who dwelt among us. He has done that. And so we establish this idea in the book of Galatians that the law was there to teach us that in order to be in free in Christ, we have to come to Christ and accept His grace, His mercy, His justification, the reality that He has saved us and, and, and that He has covered us with His righteousness. That's what makes us free in Christ. So that we might be holy as God is holy through Christ who did it perfectly. The reality then is that we need a Savior. God has provided the Savior for us. Before the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world, the plan of salvation was in effect according to Ephesians. And Jesus would be our Savior. Jesus, again, the way, the truth, and the life. 
In the book of Galatians, also in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We have been set free. Christ has done that. The truth, through Christ, you know, the way, the truth, the life, He has done that. How did He do it? He did it through the cross. I'm not going to go through all of the details, we, you know, it, but, but the reality is, is that we understand that through the cross, Jesus sacrificed His life. He was poured out for us. As a result, He purchased the covenant of grace through the, the words, it is finished. How many times we quote John 3.16? You know, the reality is, is that that's a cornerstone for us. God's so loved. He so wanted a relationship with us, but because of our inability to, to be free of sin, uh, we couldn't be holy, we couldn't come home. He provided the way to make us holy through Christ. He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him might be saved. Christ has set you free. But I want you to understand, it's not the kind of free that we think of in, in, the, in our culture as, as freedom in the United States. Free to do this, to do that, to do in, in one sense. It's more of a sense of freedom from, initially to understand. We are free from judgment of sin because Christ was judged in our place. We are free from the stain of sin. We are saints. We are sanctified. We are chosen. We are justified. We are in Christ. Results in the fact that we are free because we are at peace with God. There is no judgment of sin on us. We are free from that judgment. We are free from the wrath of sin. Jesus even described it in the Garden of Gethsemane as the, the cup of wrath to drink. He says, you know, I, I, you know this cup, he knew drinking it was, was going to be the, the unbelievably painful for him. We think of the cross and we focus on, on, on all of the pain and suffering on the cross, but the real suffering for Christ wasn't, just, wasn't the physical cross as much as it was the cup that He drank in our place. He drank the cup of judgment that should have been poured out on us. Again, Paul is, you know, has talked about the legalists and stuff, and he's basically driving the opportunity home that, you know, don't listen to them. Listen to what I am saying to you. In verse 13 of chapter 5 of Galatians, he says, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sound familiar? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. It encompasses the whole Ten Commandments. The focus on loving God and then loving your neighbor. If you lo- you can't and you cannot love your neighbor correctly 
unless you first love God. And we can only come to God through Jesus Christ. He says very clearly in here that he says, you were called to freedom. And then immediately gives us a warning. I thought that was interesting. He says, do not use your opportunity for the flesh. Our tendency with our freedom in the United States is exactly that. Take our freedoms to build up our, uh, you know, my rights to do whatever I can do to cause me to be uh, in the pursuit of what? Happiness. Now, don't get me wrong. That's why I tried to start this thing out. I am not opposed to that. I live in a home that I've been blessed with and, 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 uh, I've done different things through my life so that we can, uh, you know, have this or have that. And, you know, you, 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 I've, I've known people who do extra jobs over the year period of time in order that they can have a, 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 an extra luxury of some kind added to their, to their lifestyle. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But, but it's always, you start to look at it, it's, it's always with the focus of enjoying this world. And we're free to, to do that within the context of our, of, our, of our government and our culture. But within the framework of Christ, our freedom isn't to use it on us and our selfish needs and in, in, in the flesh. And so I, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, you know, how do, how do we take what Paul is saying here and, 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 and understand it? Uh, do not use the freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, we could go to Romans chapter 7 and, uh, and starting with the 14th verse, look at what is a battle between the flesh, one man's picture of a battle. And Paul says, you know, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to focus on the things God wants me to do. I am driven by it in my heart, in, the, in the, 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 my most inner place, my most inner being. I want to be what God wants me to be, but I continue to wrestle with sin. I continue to have sin interrupt what I want to do for God. I am so frustrated with this. And we realize as as you go through and understand what Paul identifies is that we live in the flesh. We are new creatures in Christ. If you go through the Scripture and look at that, we are new creatures in Christ. We are created fresh in Christ, new in Christ, chosen, justified in Christ, sanctified in Christ, and yet we are still in the flesh. John MacArthur says the unredeemed part of who we are. (laughs) In other words, the flesh is still part of this world. And it cries out to be satisfied. In every way. Our culture says, in the way we look at freedom in the United States, do whatever you want to satisfy your flesh. And, and we have a general code that would say, as long as it doesn't you know, harm someone else. I mean, it might satisfy my flesh to turn around and say, I want to burn my house down and start over. The city of Fortuna is not going to allow me to do that. 
even if it needed to be burned down, I'm not sure that they would allow me to do that. I would have to come through and, and, and tear it down. My, people, my, my neighbors across the street, I think, would have just liked, liked to have, when they rebuilt their house, lit a match to it. You know, but that could harm other people. And so they couldn't do that. In fact, they had to go through an array of permits just to get the, the right to tear down a single wall construction house that didn't meet any standard codes of this day and, and start over. And, uh, and, and so I, I'm not free to do just anything I want. There's, 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 there's restrictions on how fast I can go on the roads. Not everybody abides by those restrictions because some people feel they are better drivers than what the restrictions allow. But the reality is, and it was explained to me by a Caltrans person, you know, because he followed me out to to Dinsmore once, <laughs> and on the curves that say 35 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour, I was generally going faster than that. And I, and, and I said, well, that's not the speed limit. That's just to let you know that, that, you know, be cautious and, you know, this type of thing. And he says, no, it's not the speed limit. He says, but the basis of that 45 mile an hour is because of the nature of the curve, the bank of the road, and everything else considered, if there's something on the other side that you can't quite see yet, you need to be going 45 miles an hour or slower in this position in order to stop in time. All of a sudden I understood the law that I didn't understand before, you know. And I'm a lot more cautious than I was. But but still, we, we realize that there's all these different things that, that are there. But generally speaking, our, the way we look at our lives, I am free to do whatever I want to do to gratify my flesh. And that has become more so in the last 50 years than ever before in our history. I'm not going to get into all of that. It's just simply that we see that... The, 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 that's the culture. Within the framework of, of, of the church, some of that has even creeped into the church. The idea is, is that whatever it is that makes you feel good, we want to make sure we don't disrupt that. We're not going to preach it from the pulpit. We're not going to be pro-life. We're not going to be uh, anti-homosexual. We're not going to, you know, whatever it is. Uh, because we don't want to offend anybody. Those aren't the freedoms that Christ is talking about. To be free in Christ is to be free. And now it comes down to this idea of, 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 of looking again in, in verse uh, 13 and 14. But it says, you are called to be free in both uh, brothers. Only do not use the freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Uh, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the Lord your neighbor as yourself. And, I, and we, we add other... Uh, Parts to the to this out of Romans especially, but but we understand that because the Holy Spirit is in us, we are more able to do things before the throne of God that we didn't we weren't able to do before. We're actually able to have victory over some of the sin in our lives. Are we perfect? No. But the reason why we know we're not perfect is because of the law and the Holy Spirit convicting us. So it's still working. And he says, confess those sins and, and, and bring them to, to the, before the throne. And we realize that, that our goal is to look at God's holy law and strive for it. And his law is very specific about some of the things I just talked about in reference to life and gender and, and, and this type of thing. 
So it's not freedom like the United States of America looks at freedom today. It's freedom to be what God has called us to be. We couldn't do that before. We weren't free to do that without Christ. Before we had Christ, the Scripture says we were slaves to sin. We were in bondage to sin. We weren't interested in in, in godliness. But God opens our eyes. He's chosen us. And as He reveals Himself to us and we see Him and as we start to walk with Him and, and, and all of a sudden we start to read His Word and we see things that we've never seen before in understanding. Bits and pieces. Little by little. Uh, Isaiah says, precept on precept, line on line. With the foundation being, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. In the book of Romans, Paul addresses this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. Jesus, from the law of the sin and death, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, uh, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit working in us and changing who we are. Paul will say in Romans chapter 12 that there's a transformation that's, that's going on in us. As we come before the throne of God, he says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice that, that you might be transformed. Don't be conformed to the way the world looks at things. Don't use the world's standard of freedom or any other kind of thing to try to understand who God is. Use His Word to understand Him. Use His Word to know Him. And only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's all sorts of scholars of the Word and, and they're, they're, they're listed and in, in, you know, they've got their, their, all these letters after their names and are scholars of the Word that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and will tell you what the Word says. They'll talk about the resurrection of Jesus not being bodily but being the resurrection of His teaching and its influence. It's not what the Scripture says. Oh, that's just a legendary story to, to, to explain, you know, to give credence to the people at that time because they were superstitious and different types of things. The reality is, as the Scripture says, it was a physical bodily resurrection. So we come at this with an understanding that we have a source of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and we're told in John that He is the Word, and He is the Word of God, and that the Word became flesh. He is the Word. He is the truth. The Scriptures are Through Him. He created all things, we're told in Philippians and Colossians. He created all things for Himself. That He would be preeminent. And so when we come to this, we have to realize that what God wants us to do is to approach Him in such a way as to put His Word into a a major part of our life. (laughs) Uh, To to be a, a focal point in our life. Not a side thing that comes along occasionally once a week or whatever, but something that is an intimate relationship between us. Chosen, justified, sanctified, new creation in Christ. But we're still in the flesh. We're battling sin. 
the new create the new create the new creature in Christ or the new creation in Christ our desire is to please God but in the fallen flesh the battle is to please myself we're told that that battle will be lifelong but it's an interesting reality that and I, and I really I, I, I use this message primarily in, at times of, of uh, dealing with uh, you know a graveside service and someone that loves the Lord has passed away. But I think it applies this morning. In Second Corinthians chapter five, Paul writes, "We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent." We groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that what that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit, His Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. What a powerful picture to describe the battle that we just did in a sense. He says, you know, who we are in Christ is still encapsulated in the flesh. And he called it a tent. And we all know that tents are what? Temporary dwelling places. They're not meant to be permanent residences. They decay, they fall apart, and eventually they, be, they, 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 they are not able to be used anymore. And so Paul says, what do we... And by the way, Paul was a tent maker. He understood all of this. He says, what happens? We, we stop using them. In a sense, we lay them to rest. But everything that was that, that that is inside in this sense of, of who we are continues. And so he says, what is mortal, what is part of this world, was in the you know, and, 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 and the tent what is mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. What a powerful phrase. What is mortal is swallowed up by life. There is a point in time like like Brad was saying two weeks ago, that everything will be completed. Will be and, and we'll begin to really understand what it is to be alive. Again, that already not yet picture that we have. The battle is long. And we do everything we can to repair the tent, keep it going. How many of you in here take vitamins? Any any of you? Yeah. Why are you taking vitamins? To be Healthy or healthier, at least, you know, whatever. I don't know, maybe some of you have had surgeries. I have. Why did I have the surgeries? To make this tent last a little bit longer. I think it's, I, 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 my surgeries, if you put them all together, probably approach a half a million dollars for my heart and my other things that I've had in my back and stuff that I've had operated on. But eventually, there isn't going to be a surgery that will fix. And the tent will cease to function. But who I am will be swallowed up by life. What a powerful picture. And so Paul says, we long for to be out of the tent in our permanent home. In fact, even the Scripture there uses this picture. Here's the tent. Here's, here, and it's temporary. There's a building 
something solid, tangible, you know, fixed that's yours. Why? Because we're in Christ. The area that, that I need to focus on a little bit here this morning, too, is, is that in this process of, of, of looking at this, he says, we're not to use it for you know, this freedom that we have. We're not to use for ourselves. But the freedom we have is to be able to use it to bless or serve others. It's an interesting concept. That's, our culture doesn't think that way. We don't think of others first. We think of ourselves first. And then we still may be very generous. And, and, and some people have, have been very benevolent and built hospitals and a lot of other things. But not until after their stuff was in place. People who you know, uh, laud the, the, the Rockefellers and the Stanfords and all these different people and all the things that they did. But they didn't do it until their stuff was in place. And they had excess on top of excess. Was it nice for them to do that? Absolutely. But they weren't still. They were still doing it in a sense for the recognition and, and, and the self that would get the, the 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 glory. This area that changes in us is we're to go from selfish to selfless to become others oriented. We go back to Romans. Chapter 12. It's kind of hard to start in so many different places. I'll just start with verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Listen to this phrase. Outdo one another in showing honor. Showing honor to the other person. In other words, it's, it's to be... Outdo one another. It's not supposed to be competitive, by the way. We're not trying to do that, but it almost sounds like that in the sense that I, you know, I'm not going to be out honored. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I want to give. I want to honor you. I want to bless you. I want to lift you up. Uh, and and we become others oriented. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality and meet the needs of the saints. Others oriented. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. It goes on. It's a transition that, that he's speaking at. We, instead of looking at pleasing ourselves, we are to be looking as to how we can please or bless others. It's a different way of looking at how to use your freedom. Our culture uses our freedom to bring down others, if necessary, to serve ourselves. Paul says something interesting, going back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. After he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's kind of a phrase that might say what goes around comes around. <laughs> you know, the idea of the bite is actually the bite of a snake here and the way the snake bites and comes up and then ultimately consumes. 
and 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 that's that, that idea that it can you know being unkind to others and, and being selfish will ultimately come back and, and and it will bite you and I have seen it over the years uh, to be true I've seen a lot of very lonely people in in, in, in times of of uh, deathbed scenarios that you know there's they, they there's not enough time to get right with all the people that they've injured and they and they feel it and it's such a, a crushing thing i've had people do a, a confession to me to to let them know that i i want i i'm, I'm sorry too tell so and so i'm sorry tell so and so i'm sorry tell so and so i'm sorry Use your freedom to bless others. Paul says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, or Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter of describing love. It's not selfish. It's not doesn't think about its own gain. It puts others first. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't keep a list of wrongs. It's so other-oriented. How can I possibly do this? I'm not capable. I try. And the reality is is that if if I'm trying in my own strength, I won't succeed. But if I would take Scripture's advice on a regular basis... I might see something different. Paul writes to the Ephesians, look carefully as to how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Interesting phrase by itself. The days are evil. What is he saying? There's all sorts of things vying for your attention to to pull you away from what God would have you do. But be conscious about how you're walking, where you're walking, what you're walking into. Guard yourself, as implied. He says, do not be foolish. Instead, understand what the will of God is. People will say and ask, and I I don't know how many times that I've been asked, Pastor, I'm wrestling with this. What do you think God's will is for us? And... I was told when I asked someone that <laughs> while I was in Bible college as I was trying to make some decisions, what do you think God's will is? They said, well, I, Bob, how are you doing with keeping the things that you know God has told you to do? What does that got to do with this decision over here? You know, he says, no, you know, reading the Word and, and, and how you work with what you have today and what you're doing today and, and how you walk. And I said, well, I, I don't get it. He says, what, if, if, you, if you have all these things that you already know what God wants you to do and it's not of value to you to do them, then how are you going to hear Him when you need to overhear? The very foundational thing is, is that are we desiring to serve God in the first place? And, and so this idea of, 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 of 
walking in the Spirit. He turns around and says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Again, others-oriented. The desire is that the Holy Spirit would be working in us and through us. I just, you know, so many different things to, to look at here, but I just want to finish up with just a quick summary going to Colossians chapter 1. It says, uh, Paul is praying for, the, praying for them, and he says, I pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding was the idea that the Holy Spirit giving you wisdom and understanding as to how to look at the Word of God. So that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so you have this picture. He says, I pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God and that you'll have the spiritual wisdom and understanding as to how to use this knowledge so that as you walk, you walk in a manner worthy of God, blessing Him and blessing others and ministering the way He wants you to be in day-to-day circumstances in your life. And then he adds that you would grow in the knowledge, the increasing in the knowledge of God which means that you would turn around and, and, and continue to pray and to be filled with the knowledge of God. And the more knowledge of God you have, the more it's going to impact you how you walk. And the, the final picture was to be saturated, if you look at this, if, if it's an ongoing cycle, is that God wants us to be saturated in His Word. What is it to be in Christ? It's to have a hunger and thirst after His righteousness. What is it to be free in Christ? The desire to serve Him and to minister to others. Isn't that what you see in Christ? And so, it's moving from me first to God first. And it's not even me second. It's other people second. And I'm third. Kind of a phrase that might stick with you. It has with me for a number of years now. I'm third. God is first. The other person is second. And I'm third. And when I practice that, I'm truly free in Christ. I, I'm ama- it's amazing how my life is enjoyed, how God blesses. And again, if I add to that, stand, you know, putting His Word into my life on a, on, a, on a basis of wanting to be in it and study it and to grow in it, it changes who I am. And so we realize to be free in Christ is to be free to be what God made us to be. We couldn't get there. How did He open the door for that? Through the cross. Before the foundation of the world, the cross was already a part of the picture. That tapestry that we have hanging up here during Christmas at times uh, has a window uh, outside the manger scene and there's a star that looks like a, a, a that's beaming with 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 beams that go out and make the shape of a, of a cross makes me think of the song mary did you know 
He redeemed us to put us at peace with the world. He took upon us Himself his, the, the wrath and the judgment that He satisfied by, by, was satisfied by Christ. As a result, we are free to approach the throne of God without fear. We are free to serve Him where we could never serve Him before. We're free to grow in Him. Maybe as we go through communion today, if you're in a silent point, you might think in terms of, God, make, what, make, me, be, make me to be what You want me to be day to day in the world that You've put around me. And uh, it might have to do with just you know, ministering to your family. I think of Harold and his wife. He has a, 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 a success, successful ministry up in Montana. And uh, he and his wife decided it was time to retire so that they could come down here and take care of his dad. He saw that as the right thing to do to honor your mother and your father. And so they've made a sacrifice to do what is right in their, in their family. Not everybody would, would do that. But I, it just it absolutely brought me to tears as he was sharing it with me. It was just a powerful picture. And uh, you realize that that's what God wants us. He wants us to be others-oriented, willing to give whatever we have to make His, to make his will happen in, in the lives of other people around us. To be sacrificial in your giving and your love. As we go to communion, to ask the ushers to come forward, ask that you'd all hold the emblems until we've all been served and we'll share communion together.
nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can wash us pure as snow? Welcome as the friends of God. Nothing but your blood. Nothing but your blood, King Jesus. And your cross testifies in grace, tells of the Father's heart to make a way for us. No boldly we approach, not an earthly confidence. It's only by your blood. And what can wash away our sins? What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of What can wash us pure as snow? Welcomed as the friends of God. Nothing but your blood, nothing but your blood, King Jesus. Three of the Gospels in the Corinthians, uh, it's written by, that Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took the bread at the meal that they were sharing together and gave thanks to the Lord for it. And then He broke it and He passed it out to His disciples. And He said, from, and I'm going to paraphrase it at this point, you know, from now on this bread represents My body. And that reality that He came into the world in the flesh for us this, this bread represents God in the flesh. And he says, as often as you would eat this, do it in remembrance of him. The book of Philippians chapter 2 makes it very clear that not only did he become flesh, he emptied himself and became a flesh, he became a man, but even a man who would serve others. Again, others first, and ultimately go to the cross, pour out His blood, His life, give His life completely for us, that all who would confess Him as Savior would know eternal life. And He asked as often as we would share this cup together that we would do so in remembrance of Him. Father, once again we come to say thank You. Thank You for all that You have done for us. All that You are doing. All that You are going to do. 
causes to be joyous in our looking ahead. Uh, I think of, of that phrase again, mortal swallowed up by life. What we think is living today is nothing compared to what life is in you and what it will be eternally. And as we go through your word and we begin to catch glimpses of that, cause those things to bring us excitement and joy. And Father, that we would find in our freedom in you the desire to serve you more, to, to, to see your need more, and to see what you would have us do to meet the needs of others. We worship you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close? We've got some refreshments in the back if you have time to visit and share for a little while. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful and safe July 4th.